0: Last week, I hosted a panel with three wedding market experts to discuss the state of the wedding industry. Where have we been, where are we now, and where are we going? We tackled big picture topics like declining engagement rates, lower guest counts, and what to do as a business owner in our volatile market over the next 6 to 12 months. Hundreds of people attended the panel, but the conversation was too good to put on a file and never let see the light of day again. So, I'm putting it on the podcast as an episode for you, our audience, to hear, and also to look back on when you're unsure about the direction to take in the coming months. Enjoy the conversation. It's one that needs to be heard and shared in the industry. So, if you feel like a colleague or a friend could benefit from it, please send it their way. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business all right anya shane why don't we go ahead and kind of kick things off as people are filing in and and joining in and um you know let's let's get things started i love anya for you to share a little bit of background uh on um you know your experience with the wedding industry what you're currently up to that'd be a great place to start
1: yeah let's do it so yeah thanks for having me um for those of you who don't know me my name is anya winnika um so i spent the last 18 years in the weddings industry, uh, all from a very 30,000 feet above vantage point. Uh, my first job was in New York City at The Knot alongside the original co-founders. Uh, and I got a pretty entrepreneurial upbringing. Um, but my job there was to ensure that every couple coming in the door was engaging with the website. And so I learned a lot of tricks and things along the way that you know were a lot of it was oriented around marketing and how do you make sure that every single year when your audience recycles, you're going to be able to keep up and you're going to be able to like ensure that you're really listening to what they want and you're really bringing them in. Um, And after doing that for 10 years, I started a little brand that's now they call Wedding Pro. Um, but at the time, you know, the idea and the mission was to take all those tactics and those learnings and insights and teach them back to the industry. And so we designed workshops and webinars and content and education and ran around the country and found people like Sam Jacobson to come and speak on our stage and teach back um, You know, a lot of the things that I felt like at the time, and we still are, we're so fractured as an industry. Um, And so, you know, how could we find ways to bring, you know, really smart caterer who's good at operations to teach a planner who's trying to scale her business and and those types of things. Um, And then I uh, did another little pivot, big pivot, and um, founded a fintech company, a venture-backed fintech company that processes payments for the weddings and events industry. Reason being because at that point, um, and I still feel this way, Our industry certainly doesn't get the credit it deserves when it comes to how large we are. And I think one of the things that are missing, which is obviously most of us are on the same mission, is to give our industry more of the credit that it deserves. And so at the time, I think it made a lot of sense to get the conversation moving around money. And so we we did a lot of that and we processed payments. Today, I work with a handful of tech companies. Within the space, a little without of the space. Um, but my mission is still the same. Like I still believe, you know, this industry is so big over a hundred billion dollar industry. I think conservatively, I know everyone's got different data points, but when you look at it, and you think about the B2B payments and the things going on, there's so much money. But yet we play it really small. Um, oftentimes. And in times like this, which is why we're all together, it uh, can get, we can get into that scarcity mindset so quickly. Um, and I'm so glad that, that we're all here together. And um, I will stop right there with my intro. Oh, and I'm in Brooklyn, New York, New York City proper. If you ever want to have a coffee, I'm here and I love coffee. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Anya. You know, Anya and I we met a long time ago, maybe close to ten years ago. And I was there with the the, the traveling workshop tour back in twenty seventeen. I was just starting out, and and you were just getting going with the wedding pro side of things. It was uh, it was fun. We got to spend quite a bit of time together. Uh, I respect the hell out of your uh, uh, approach and your perspective. So thanks so much for for joining, Anya. Shane. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been in the wedding industry for quite a while, and and uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and, and what you currently do with with people who are uh, looking to grow their businesses.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for having me. I'm um, Shane McMurray. I'm in Tucson, Arizona. So if you're in Tucson, Arizona in the desert, then come on out. It's hot. But, you know, coffee's still good, uh, even when it's 100 degrees outside. Um, so I, uh, I started, uh, I'm actually a software engineer, programmer by trade. I've been programming. I discovered computers back in the early 90s, back when we were like dial-up modems and 286 processors. I was just fascinated with computers and uh, learned how to build them, learned how to program them. And I became more fascinated with the data side of the world and started working in that space more. Uh, I ended up working for Intuit, did a bunch of stuff for their call center uh, on the data side, uh, worked for a healthcare startup for a while, uh, did some work on, in that and helped them. I also have worked in the defense and um, aerospace industry. I've, I'm on a patent for some stuff. I helped them build some software to run some billion dollar programs for stuff. And so kind of crazy stuff, but, Uh, In the early 2000s, my wife and I started a paper company. Uh, We were making paper by scratch. I wanted to uh, understand the market, you know, where we started selling wedding invitations. So I was like, hey, how many people are getting married? What's, you know, and at that time, this was probably 2002, 2003. There was no data out there at the time. So I ended up just doing a bunch of research and uh basically started the wedding report as a business blog like hey i want to get back to the you know like businesses trying to understand how to make this stuff work and um and ended up basically taking the research that i had done created some um, reports around it because i if i needed it i thought i figured everyone else needed it as well and i published my first research in uh, 2005 of July, and that's when I started the wedding report. I ended up incorporated in 2007. Uh, I don't actually work in the wedding industry more anymore. I haven't worked in the wedding industry since the paper business back in the early 2000s. So I'm sitting way outside of the industry, kind of looking in, going what's going on. Uh, and I've been collecting data since that time. How many people get married? How much do they spend? Lots of different facts about different, many, many, many different things. I've probably collected well over a million data points since I've been doing this, um, I don't know. It's it's been a long time. So, <laughs> anyways, that's where I'm at. And so right now, I that's what I do. I I, I basically do the wedding report, um, sell research. I am a research company. That's what we. That's what I do. That's it. That's all I. That's all I'm focused on. Understanding the market. And and I, just to tag on what Anya said, um, you know, the wedding industry. Even though it's a very large, fragmented industry, it has a huge impact in the economy. Basically, I would I would guess that you know when people get married, they build a lot of wealth together. They buy homes, they buy a lot of things. So if you think about it, in general, people getting married in a year probably generate about 250 million dollars in the economy. A billion dollars, I mean billion with a B, uh, in the economy every single year just from buying homes buying vehicles, buying household goods, all the things that you would do when you get married. That money gets regenerated, all the taxes, all the jobs that support that in every single community across the across the country. So it's a huge industry and it's very fragmented. It's, it's very, you know, like a lot of small players in this space, um, but it's a huge, it has a huge impact in our economy overall. So anyways.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Shane. I appreciate it. You know, I I uh, was talking to Shane and, and Anya before we all hopped into the room. And one of the things that I, I thought about when bringing the panel together, uh, obviously, Steph's not here. But between Anya and Shane, I see Anya's kind of qualitative understanding of what's going on with the person to person connection that she has in the wedding industry moving around for so long. And Shane has kind of the quantitative understanding of what's going on. Also, both of them going back you know, almost a couple of decades and, and being able to see you know, uh, w- what's a blip and what's a trend. And, and, and I want to talk more about that. Uh, before we do, I, I will introduce myself. I know that uh, there's some people here who know me, some people who don't. For those who don't, my name is Sam Jacobson. I'm a sales pricing and copywriting expert. Uh, I work exclusively with wedding probes. My wife and I own a company. We have uh, seven full-time employees. Uh, we do copywriting for websites. I do coaching and we host uh, online courses, programs, and in-person retreats. Uh, you know we we think that every wedding professional has some measure of success that they want to achieve, and our job is to help you achieve that, whatever that might be. I talk every day with clients. I went through, actually, we've had 747 clients uh, who have uh, worked with our company over the last six plus years. And so we talk with a lot of different people in a lot of different fields from a lot of different markets at different levels of maturity or success with their business. And I can tell you right now, for the last six, nine months, everybody's kind of talking about, starting to whisper, and now it's a little bit more of a roar, what's going on with 2023? And so I thought that it would be helpful to bring together some of the smartest people that I know in the wedding industry to have a conversation and discussion about that. And so that's what we're gonna do today. Thank you all for joining who are here with us. I like to follow a a narrative that I learned from my old boss, Brent, uh, about planning. And that's what I want this really to be is a planning session for everybody who's attending the webinar or listening to this afterwards. And that is that we have to start with where have we been and then we can identify where we are right now and finally we can focus on where we want to go we need to make sure that we know where we've been and where we are now before we get too focus on what that path looks like because where we've been and where we are now will help determine the trajectory and the course and the approach that we take uh, it's been pretty strange in the wedding industry i mean everywhere obviously but in the wedding industry specifically there's been such huge lows and huge highs Compared to other fields over the last three and a half years, so I thought it'd be helpful to go back a little bit and and you know start with where have we been and and I don't want to go back to the pandemic specifically, although I'm sure it will come up. But I really want to focus on the second half of 21 and 22, which was notably a boom year. And and Shane, I don't know if you actually coined this, but I remember going back and reading. I think in February or March of 22, and I think you were the source and either a Washington Post or a New York Times article talking about how 22 was going to be a boom year. Can you tell us a little bit about what 22 was like as far as number of weddings and what kind of impact that had on a, you know, kind of a bigger macro level for the wedding industry as a whole?
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, 2022 was a larger year than normal. I mean, typically we have about 2.1 million weddings a year in the U S. And uh, 2022 is literally just pent up demand from the pandemic. That's really all it was. There was, there's no growth. There's no real growth there, Just I just wanna be clear. And in fact, I brought that up way before when the pandemic was happening. But, um, and we don't really know exact numbers yet. We probably won't know till later, the end of this year, probably exactly where where we fell, maybe early next year because states are so far behind on publishing data. But I think it's gonna fall around 2.4 million is the number of weddings that, that took place in 2022, which is, which is more weddings than has happened since like early 90s, maybe even the 80s. Uh, 19, uh, uh, 1983, I think, or 1982 was 2.47 million. That was the highest number of weddings we had uh, in the US and it's been falling ever since then. Unfortunately, so that's uh, that's kind of where we're at. that's that's what twenty twenty two was. It was literally just pent up demand from the pandemic fallout.
0: And you know, Anya, I, I know that you were you know working with fintech company at the yeah. time, and so you saw a lot of what was going on. You know, what what are some of your observations about twenty two?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly there was a lot of processing going on, payments processing going on, um, but yeah, I mean. Anecdotally, you know, we'll say qualitatively, there, you know, you have all all of us, you know, sitting at home. Like we, we don't have to go into it, but it's like everyone's sitting at home, and then all of a sudden, it's like everyone's crazy. You know, everyone's calendars are completely booked, and you have everyone exhausted at the end. You know, depending on where you live, at the end of twenty one, and then you know you're coming into twenty two with this crazy booked calendar. And yes, there were businesses, I'm sure you spoke with many of them Sam who had prepared themselves for this. Um but staffing was an issue. You know, there were so many things that we took for granted pre-pandemic that were just not in place and and you know, systems, logistics, transportation, all those things were not in place to handle what was happening in 22. And so, yeah, like you know, it, from when you talk to to people across the country, it didn't really matter where you were everybody was doing fine from a revenue perspective and from a bookings perspective. but if you looked underneath the hood, like' it wasn't, it wasn't that they had all yeah, magically become incredible marketing experts. It was that you, they just there're just more people who are asking for these things. And so as a result, and I'm sure we can get into it, you know many almost felt like they had to raise their prices. You know, I, know, I know a couple folks who raised their prices three times in 2022. Um, just because it was too much to to handle all the leads. And they were, you know, they they could. Um, and then add, add inflation on top of that. But yeah, I mean, 2022 was a very strange year. And I think everybody felt fine. They went to the parties, they networked, they spent money on their businesses, but they also were dealing with a very different type of year and as we know, our our this is what makes us so unique is the seasonality effect, and the and the way that culture and 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 what's going on out there on the macro level it directly impacts all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I remember back in early days of the pandemic when there was that crush of demand on toilet paper. You remember when like like there was nothing; nobody had any toilet paper at any of the stores, right? Like there weren't more people on the planet going to the bathroom that much more, but it was really hard to find toilet paper at that time. And I kind of like, for me, that was always the metaphor of, of, you know, it's like weddings were like the toilet paper aisle at Costco, where, you know, there just wasn't an ability to keep up with the demand. And it wasn't necessarily um, something that was long-term. It just needed to be kind of worked out. And Shane, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about, there wasn't actually any growth. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? I'm guessing that it has to do with like the averages or the total number of people over a several year period that are getting married. I think that that's a really important takeaway for people here. Is that you know it, it, if we look at the if we look at a multi year perspective, 2022 was just kind of an equalizing year.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it was a relatively equalizing year. Um, you know, the reality is, is there's just less people getting married. The The attitude towards marriage has changed significantly than it was even a decade ago. People that are moving into the age where they want to get married, they're not interested in getting married. They're more interested in uh, their careers or what they want to do personally. And then maybe think about getting married or they'd rather cohabitate with someone uh, versus actually getting married. A lot of the people that are growing up, have come through divorce. There's more um, single parent families than there has ever been in our history. Uh, there's actually more people that are 40 plus that have never been married than there's ever been in our history. And um, it, it's really just the nature of what's happening, the attitude towards marriage, uh, the societal changes that we see. People just, it's not, it's not part of what they wanna do. Um, So I think that's part of the issue is that uh, we'll probably, I mean, you know, it's typically 1.2.1 to 2.2, right? In the past, probably half a decade. And then if you look at it over a period of time, it just continues to go down uh, the marriage rate, even though the population increases, you have more, you know, like, like um, for, for example, the millennial generation is the largest generation that we've had, uh, in in our history right like they're the largest population but why didn't they get married right they're not getting married they're getting married later i think the the medium age for marriage and it's been like this for at least eight years is 30 and 32 so they're getting married later in 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 you know as they grow older but the more people aren't getting married, like there's not more people that are getting married. They'd rather live together and stay together, just living together, have a family, build a house, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know about you, but I have quite a few nephews um, that have basically that's what they do. In fact, both of my daughters who uh, live with their boyfriends, they're not married. One of my daughters has three kids. So I'm like, okay, this is what they want to do. They don't want to get married. So. I don't, you know, that's really the, that's really what it boils down to. There's just less people getting married and it's going to continue to be like that. Um, I mean, we can go into projections later, but yeah, that's it. That's what I would say.
0: So this has been a trend that's been happening for years. This isn't like a a, a, a blip where all of a sudden people have stopped getting married or 2023 has a ton fewer people this is about in line with what we've been seeing with the slow, you know kind of precipitous decline over the last 20 30 years
2: yeah but but 23 has a lot more pressures than you would say normally see there's other things going on here right like like anya said earlier people were burnt out from 2022. I don't know how many weddings you attended, but I mean, as just someone attending a wedding, I probably attended more weddings than I've ever attended in my life. And so there's probably some burnout there. People are tired of doing that stuff. You know, Like, I'm not going to another wedding or I'm not having a wedding, not planning a wedding. So there's some of that too, right? There's some of burnout. There's also the decline in, you know, just people generally like, It's the drop off from previous, right? So twenty twenty two was high, and all of a sudden you have this huge drop off, and people go, "Hey, where is everybody?" Well, it's just back down to normal, right? And and then there's the added pressures of what's happening today in the in the economy. You know, cost of living is is much higher than it was even a year ago, and all of those things are adding pressure onto what's happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I want to get into that here in just a minute, Anya. I'm curious, what would you like to add to that?
1: Yeah. Add to that the sale, like going back to the folks that were raising their prices in 2022 because they they needed to because you had so much demand. There was also another thing at play besides there just being pent up demand, and that is that most couples that do get married and plan weddings with all of you guys, like they're sitting up above the average, typically. Like I'm gonna go there and assume that. Um, and those couples all had good paying jobs, like really great paying jobs with a lot of security. There was that thing called the great resignation. <laughs> and it it meant that the people who have those, you know, your clients, like they're marketers, they were, you know, they work in tech, they work at big software companies, their jobs were totally fine. Um, and in fact, they were getting raises. And so the idea of you know, upselling them, sure. Like, I'll go for it. The idea of spending a little bit more price per person, they went for it. They were also hearing that this was a competitive time to get married. So they understood, you know, like, and so I think there's both the pent up, there's people coming at you. And then there's also just this like permission to, to do what we all needed to do in 2022, which is plan weddings, price it a little bit higher, you know, hone in on that sales process and potentially scale the business with, with um, additional freelance and, and other full-timers.
0: Hey, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the, the increase in prices because I think that's something that we'll we'll end up talking yeah. about a little bit later. The the um I remember talking with a client of mine back in March of 22 and he and I were sitting down. We were, we were going through. We were just having a dinner at a at a conference a retreat, and I asked him how twenty two was looking. And he goes, "I'm not even responding to inquiries for, anymore." Right. I, I was like, "Oh, that's funny." Yeah. You know, and like, yeah. I'm a I'm a sales coach, right? So I'm like, "What are you talking about? You're not responding to inquiries." <laughs> and he's like, "I'm so I'm already fully booked for twenty two, and I I can't I'm like I can't even respond to anything." I'm getting so many of them that I just had to kind of like throw in the towel and just kind of give up like that's how busy it was, at least for that person. I know it was like that for so many other people. And so so I think, you know, the smart thing to do at that point is like kind of give them the like, oh, well, price, you know, where it's like if they say yes, amazing. If they don't. Oh, well, somebody else will come in line. Right. So so, you know, my recommendation was don't say no or don't say pass, just like charge through the nose for it. If they say yes, amazing, and you can kind of you know cream the the skim off the top, and, or skim the cream off the top, and and put it into an account and save it for later, but um, but I, I think that what's interesting about that is that might work as a tactic for that particular time period, but for people who are not versed in pricing strategy or or you know how to deal with your pricing long term that tactic can apply in all situations and as we go through and we talk about what Shane's calling the pressures of 2023 and and what we'll see for 2024 events what worked in 22 may not and even might not work in 23 or 24 the challenge that I think a lot of wedding pros are seeing right now is that we went to that high water mark and we set our businesses on a course for that particular level of demand and, and you know perfect storm in a good way of circumstances, pent up demand, people wanting to blow all the money that they had saved up from not being able to spend it during the pandemic, wanting to party it up and, and celebrate life finally with their friends and family after they couldn't for a couple of years. All those things were happening, but what worked then may not work and might not work now. And that's, I think, a lot of what we're seeing is that people haven't reacted by shifting their pricing strategy or their inquiry response time period or or how much friction they're creating in the sales process
1: well and you didn't have any time (laughs) like you didn't have time to do that right like unless you had sam there like you just didn't have time to do that because you were you were dealing with all these inquiries it was wild it was crazy
0: yeah it was just keeping your nose above water right it wasn't even your head it was just like your little nostrils you're like i just want to be able to make it through to the next weekend and and just get through this there was a collective sigh of relief i think in kind of first second week of december where it was like okay another thing that that i'll bring up and and just because i'm so close to the ground on the sales stuff is that you know what ends up happening when you're in the weeds when you're super busy with taking care of the day-to-day for your business whether it's this upcoming week's couple or you know, trying to plan out what's happening in a month or finding enough people to design your flowers in two months, three months, staffing, supply chain issues or whatever, is that when you're looking down at executing today's events, you can't look up and and focus on what you need to do to plan accordingly in the future. The number one reason why people come to me or to our company is because they aren't seeing the kind of success that they want. And when I go through and I dig in, I typically find something that happened like six to 12 months ago that is causing the pain to finally be felt today. And and that pain is usually, I don't have any deposits coming in. I don't have my calendar full to the level that that I want it to or what it normally is. You know, what's going on? And a lot of people look back weeks or months, you know, a couple of months at the most, but it's typically what you did or didn't do six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago. Could be something as simple as, I, I increased the, uh, my starting at price that I put on my website or, um, I, I outgrew my referral partner base and the businesses that, or the piece of business they're referring to me no longer can afford my, my price tag. I jacked up the number of fields in my contact form and I made it harder for people to inquire or I asked about budget earlier on in the process because I didn't want to waste any of my time. But those were things that worked as tactical approaches when you were in the weeds. But now that you're not in the weeds and you haven't shifted it, you're starting to see the results, which is not getting enough business from inquiries that should have come in 6, 9, 12 months ago. And, and so I just want to highlight that, how important it is to not look at what's happening necessarily right now, although that's a factor. It's things that you decided to do six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago, when this time last year, you were so in the weeds, you couldn't even see your way out.
1: Yeah. And, and, and fair enough. Right. Like you said, I mean, it's like, like Lynn Easton and Marcy Bloom literally shut off inquiries on their website at the time. They were like, if you don't know, have a friend that just got married with me, don't call me. I'm too busy. (laughs) That's fine. But they don't do that now. (laughs) You know? So it's like, you've got to do, you got to switch it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that 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 um, that 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 approach is is important. You know, I I'll, I'll say that I don't think that your prices have to be steady. I don't think that they always have to increase. You know, I, I don't think that you're the equivalent of like you know pork bellies or something that you talk about when like you know your services or your products being a um, a commodity. But it isn't a commodity in the sense that like you know we have a fixed supply and a fluctuating demand, and therefore the supply and demand curve tells you what you can charge last year you know there was a short supply and a massive demand which meant that you could charge as high as you wanted to and people were still saying yes just like people would have spent three times the amount of money on toilet paper back in march of 2020 but you know when the supply chain gets fixed figured out and things are back to normal the prices go back down we're seeing it with travel you know travel is one of the biggest cost increases in the inflation index that we see right now it's through the through the roof but at some point it will level out and, and, you know, we'll get back down to some sense of normalcy. Uh, you know, I would just encourage people in the wedding industry to recognize that, like you said Anya, like, we're always trying to attract new people, which means that we aren't necessarily working with the same audience. So the people who bought something from you a year ago, you know they knew the price of what it was a year ago the people who are buying something from you today don't know what you were charging a year ago unless you're publishing your prices and somebody's following you along for years and years they don't know that your prices have dropped and so the risk of things like brand dilution or or you know breaking the integrity of of your pricing is 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 really fickle and and not something that i think that we really have to look at when it comes to your your services right now you're you're not going to you know implode your business if you bring your prices back down to say 2019 or 2020 or 2021 levels 22 levels are a high watermark we won't always be able to live there
2: yeah for sure yeah
0: for sure Shane I'm curious we've talked a lot about the number of weddings but one of the things that impacts people Um, especially caterers, florists, and stationers, people who who sell a product that is really dependent on the number of people who attend a wedding. What kind of impact are we seeing over the last, say, few years on guest counts? Are are we seeing, you know, uh, drop in guest counts, flat line? Has that normalized over the last few years or are we still suffering from decreased discounts?
2: Guest counts have been declining since I've been tracking this. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not, you know, like significant, but they keep going down. Uh, the only thing I would say is 2022 was probably a little bit higher. Uh, I think people were wanting to have a bigger party and uh, get together with their friends and family more often. But, you know, uh, as you know, and, and every time, you know, one guest you add to the wedding increases your cost. So, uh, if people are trying to keep their costs down, then, then they're probably keeping that down. The, obviously there's a lot more increase in micro weddings, um, you know, elopements and things like that. But I mean, it's not super significant. Like the number, like the number of people that have having less than 25 guests is not like this huge number of increase. It's still up there. And the, I would say the majority of it is probably above 75 and below 125 is probably where the core is. Um And that's probably that's where it's going to stay probably for a little bit. And then depending on how the economy shakes out, it'll it'll fluctuate there. Right. So as it gets tighter to spend money, then people look at where can I cut costs? Right. How, How can I impact my costs? And the biggest impact is obviously cutting guest count. So if you haven't seen Aunt Jo in 20 years, then why do you want to invite her to the wedding? Right. So, you know.
0: Anya, That's what, what kind about. of what kind of things are you hearing about guest counts and, you know, what couples are interested? I know you've got that kind of that background with your work with the knot, especially yeah. working directly with couples. What kind of things are you getting the sense of in the industry from a couple's perspective?
1: So, so pricing transparency, um, like I, I need to know, I need to know how much this is going to cost me right now. Like I can't be tricked into this. And so, you know, i know from our you put on both hats right from the business side you're trying to understand and help them understand the value before they before you can quote them the right price on the couple side they need to know how much this thing is going to cost and so that friction is is actually it's it's almost insurmountable at this point like couples need to understand and and there's good reason for it like again put yourself in their shoes and you know the more we can do that the better things are going to go by the way <laughs> um Because think about it, interest rates are higher than they've ever been. Before, even in 2022, couples were happy to throw it down on the Amex. Like they are not, that is a very scary idea. Um, Next year is an election year. There is a ton of unknown already. And that is only going to get bigger. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so, yeah. So anyway, I I think one is transparency and helping them understand exactly what they are paying for, why it costs this much, giving them, everyone says like, oh, education is lacking because of averages and all these articles, like, but when you're chatting with them, like really help them understand, you know, what it is that you're, they're paying for and try not to trick, try not, no trickery, um, Another thing is that the value set really is shifting. This is not a small micro trend. The couples getting married today are very different than the couples getting married 10 years ago. Um, the couples 10 years ago were a bit more, I mean, that me included, were a bit more look at me. Like I would happy to you know, put my personal stamp, my unique da-da-da, like I wanna make sure everyone sees that stuff. The couples today and increasingly so Gen Z as people like to call them gen we or whatever, it's like they really do care about not trying so hard. They're like the not trying hard group. And so flat and this is this is definitely regional. Okay. So like if you're sitting in Dallas, like you're still doing big and that's probably the way it's going to be for a long yeah. time. If you're still if you're sitting in the South, it's the same thing. But in, in a lot of parts of the country, we have couples that are coming together after college and they move to a second tier city or a city city, big city their, their value sets have shifted. And so they want to have a wedding. They want to spend on their guests that they do invite, even though that guest list is smaller, but it's not about showing off, um, you know, on the Insta, it's actually quite the opposite. They want it to be fun. As you guys know, the ones that are you know, whatever. And yes, to Katrina's point, they're they're booking closer in. And so that's the other thing is that like the, the, the timeline, the time planning timeline is very different than it was when I was, when I started at the knot, it was like two years. It's like 18 yeah. months was the average. As I As I went through the decades there, it became shorter and shorter and it is much shorter now. And the reason again is like it is not about making sure, you know, that every single last thing is buttoned up to a T. It's making sure I can afford it. This is exactly what we want. This represents our values and that the best people are coming to my wedding. It's going to be fun.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shane, what kind of things are you seeing? Yeah. What kind of things uh, are you seeing in the data about that?
2: I would agree with that. I think that's exactly right on. Um the the you know the reality is is that people want different things today than they did before. Yeah, like in Dallas or Midwest, right? Even in the South, you see huge you know larger weddings. That's just that's just how it is in that in those spaces, right? But you go to West Coast, you go to Northeast, that sort of thing. Those things are changing significantly. So uh, I, think- I think it's about the experience today more than anything. So smaller wedding, but about the experience. I notice like the things that people care about are okay. Well. Uh, how can I capture some of the day, but how can I have a great like venue with delicious food that serves everybody, you know, with a variety of different choices and then have a good experience, fun time, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things you're talking about, and this is kind of near and dear to my heart, are, you know, psychological drivers, what motivates people to make decisions, whether it's a wedding or a car purchase or, you know, whatever it might be, a a vacation, the kind of vacation you go on. Um, You know, there are, as I learned it, nine different psychological motivations. And the one that you're describing, Shane, is uh, engagement, celebrating life's moments, right? Indulging in sensory experiences um the the old motive that you were talking about anya is esteem which is recognition elevating your status within your peer group so that other people look at you and you're literally trying to create fomo like i want to have the best wedding of my friend group right i want to i want to outdo my sister i want to outdo my best friend i want you know my parents to be proud of the party that we put together and that that was was brand
1: new 10 years ago it was brand new you know, right, yeah.
0: right. And that, that was your way to show off status at that particular point in your life. But there are other ways that we can do that, especially with social media, you can show off status, you know, 943 different ways each day if you wanted to. And and so it doesn't take a seminal event like, um, like wedding. I will say that one of the things that I th- i saw last year and you know 21 and 22 the second half of 21 and all of 22 belonging which is a a third motivation that, that meaningful connection with other people that i think was a really big motivator for a lot of the weddings and how they were put together and the 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 intention that people put behind it and probably some of the decrease in guest count so they could spend that quality time Rather than you know uh, uh, fewer moments with more people, and and I'm curious you know it, how the pandemic is going to impact um, you know that long term. I felt like everybody was wanting to connect with their family and friends, but I, I don't know are you are, you know are either of you seeing that as a trend long term, or do we think that was just kind of a blip on on the the pandemic radar?
1: I think it goes down. It comes down to who's paying and planning the wedding, and like we'll put aside like my friends in Charleston and, you know, potentially in some Dallas and some of these markets where this generational, generational wealth is being passed down from mom and dad to, you know, the the, the couple. Um, and in those cases, you know, I think it's still everybody's business partners and such are coming to this wedding. But when it comes to today's couples who are young professionals, you know, paying for their weddings and things like that, I, I just, I don't see this as a little minor blip. I see this as a massive shift in weddings in general. I think this is the reason why bridal fashion designers struggle right now because going in and splurging on a big dress is just not mac from a macro perspective the trend. Um, unfortunately, unless you're doing crazy over the top stationery, and many many cases that has kind of calm by the wayside. I think we're gonna see a much, much more of a shift just away from all of that. Um, anything that just feels to a couple frivolous, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem like it's, it's worth it. And, you know, it's yeah. I like this comment from Tara, like more of a request for pictures with a lot of people versus just a couple, because this isn't like this thing, this isn't this moment for just the two of us. This is, you know, I think it used, I think that was the adage before is that like, this is our new life's moment. But at this point, if I'm having a wedding, this is, this is for everybody that's coming and I want to get everybody in the picture. But yeah, I, I, I think it depends on I think for the majority of American couples who are paying for their weddings, this trend only continues to shift. And if you want, you can point at what's going on financially and economically in the U.S. The middle class is shrinking, and that middle class are our clients. And so we need to think about what those clients are going to be able to do in the future, and then think about where you fall. And I think many people have an opportunity. The good news is have an opportunity to uh, to do to do a little bit to scale. Um, because you're experts at what you do at this point. And there are a lot of couples who may not be able to afford your price now. um, And a few couples who can definitely afford you. Uh, But let's think about like the next 10 years as the middle class shrinks a bit. um, How can you bring more transparency? How can you make it easier? How can you make it easier on yourself and maybe do a little more volume?
2: I'll just second that. I mean, that's uh, also, too, just like thinking about Charleston and the and the South in general, there's a huge amount of wealth that transferred over to the South. Um, so if you think about generational wealth transfer from parents down to the children, you're, you're exactly right, Anya. Those types of weddings will always kind of be in that space, like everybody's coming, right? You're going to buy the best dress, you're going to buy the stuff. But the majority of people that are getting married, I think a lot of people in this industry forget about The people that go and get married at the courthouse or have a wedding at the restaurant or in the backyard and all that, that's part of the wedding industry, believe it or not, you know, that's part of the industry that's part of the economics that happen year in and year out right so those people impact the you have to capture all of that it's not just the high dollar stuff that's happening in the market so um and it is getting harder for the for the middle class that 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 is shrinking i think the people so a couple things i think michelle said it like we, we we made we realized like the pandemic made us think about how we care about people and that sort of thing and our family and friends and that and that but We're also as americans we also tend to be relatively short attention span so while it might happen for the next few years and probably for people that are paying for the wedding but other people will probably forget about it and we'll move on from there to some other trend
0: you know i was reading in a book um about marketing to the affluent uh last year and there was a really great insight that i picked up on and that was not just the the amount of people who are in the middle class or the affluent classes but the way that the affluent earn their money or get their money this has shifted dramatically over the last couple of decades it used to be that wealth was inherited or you married into it you know it was passed down from generation was family centered but the majority of people who are millionaires now earn their money they came up with an idea and they they created something out of nothing the, you know this is kind of the entrepreneurial two decades that we've had yeah. and and those people have different values than the people who inherit money you know we yeah. talk about the south but it's more about a culture of this is a, a family tradition. You are, you know, you, it's your duty and obligation to host an event that brings together our families and our, our, you know, our, our social fabric and weaves it together in, in for the next generation. Um, and I think what's happening is that we're seeing people earn their money in different ways. So even though the the or in addition to the middle class shrinking as a percentage and what they're able and willing to spend their money on the affluent classes are are shifting how they want to spend their money they you know the people who earn their money they know the value of the buck they 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 had to work hard for it and this, I think, is one of my, my big frustrations with people who talk about oh, the wealthy, they, they don't negotiate. They're my ideal clients. They actually negotiate more. You don't get rich by giving your money away. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, right. and and those people who started a company, they want to win. They are competitive. They are achievement. That's yeah. the fourth kind of motivator. They're achievement driven. they see it as a zero-sum game, they want to deal. Not because they need to save the money, but because they want to win, because that's a value that they have. And so you know, I see some questions in the chat going through with like the the like, does this affect luxury? I do think that it affects luxury because the values of the people who are affluent buyers are shifting. They don't want to spend their money frivolously, and, or what they see as frivolously is non-practical, impractical uses. I
2: agree.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I, <laughs> I did. You know, I did see something very recently about. You know, we we oftentimes hear like the top two percent. Um, and a lot of times you're at an event and someone's like, oh, well, my clients are, you know, 2%. But actually, I think what we're probably going to see is like a lot of people targeting the top 10%. And the top 10% are those people like they're millionaires, they're not billionaires. Um, you know, they've made their money. Yeah, like they, they were employee number 12 at a tech company that did quite well. Um, you know, those are the people and, and to your point, Sam, they're very discerning. They're very different pricing. Transparency matters. They want to understand exactly what they're paying for. This isn't about pressing, impressing my mom and dad. In fact, like they don't even get it right. Like, cause they didn't raise me this way. Um, my other friends are too cool for school. They also wear, you know, understated items as well that don't show labels and things like that. So this is a big group of people that are probably your target if you are targeting, you know, what we now today call lovely and luxury and things like that. And, and their, their, their attitudes are incredibly different than the ones before. And one of the big fears I have is when I hear friends, you know, anecdotally saying the leads are dry, the leads are dry, the leads are dry, like for 24, it's like in the panic, that's sort of setting in. I'm worried that those friends are sending out some tone deaf messaging right now. I'm worried that they're, they're, they're doing the 2022 thing. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's the theme here. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's, I, I, they're not they're not dead. Like there's not, there's people getting married still. You know, there may be fewer, um, wages are softer. There's all these things we're talking about, but like, there's a bunch of people that are still in that top 10% that are gonna wanna be planning weddings. They can't afford it, but you've got, you can't be tone deaf. You know, you've gotta be acknowledging what's exactly what's going on out there. And for us, that's a very hard job, small business industry. That is so much easier for a big company to figure out. It's just really hard for a small business owner to like pivot that quickly. And I'm, I'm so glad that we're all doing this together because this is, this is how we help each other help our industry.
2: Yeah. Hey, can I, I just want to tag onto that with some numbers and facts Um, a couple of years ago, uh, actually it was 2021. I went to wedding MBA, presented some data, but this is from the American community survey, which is a survey the census does every year. They collect about, couple million samples of data. And then of that data, you can uh, drill down into people that actually got married in the past 12 months. So one of the things I wanted to bring out was income. And that was the thing that I talked about at, at the Wedding MBA. But, but essentially, the median personal income for people that are getting married today is only $32,000. That's $15.67 an hour, if you think about it. 93% of the people getting married make less than $100,000. And that was, that was in 2021. So, you know, it's probably more than that now, but uh, because 2022 incomes increased, that sort of thing. The medium household income was 79000 64% of households that get married make less than $100,000. And then when you look at the really high earners, um, the max household income for someone that was they got married was two point two million dollars, and that's basically two one hundredths of of a percent make more than a million Mm dollars. So if you're looking for that's four hundred forty four weddings, if you want to put it into perspective. So the number of people that are in that range of getting married is is a small amount. So. There might be more of those today, but, you know, really the target should be what can I offer at a profit and then be able to reach down and and collect as many as I can. Anyways, just some numbers from from the census data.
0: Yeah, I find that really helpful, Shane. You know, when I talk with clients, I um, I. I I show this video. I won't show it now, but it's it's called a Galton board, and it's basically like if you ever watch Prices Right, and it's like the plinko board, and it like you know you've got these little slots that it can go down and bounce around in, and if you drop a bunch of little balls down through the little Galton board, it'll almost always fit the standard deviation bell curve that that the bell curve exists because it exists in nature right like and it exists in the wedding industry just like it exists in every other industry as well and i think one of the challenges that that we face and i want to get your perspective on this is that people have been in business so long so many people started post great recession 2012 2013 2014 and 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 so we've been in business for say 10 years and they don't want to just take anybody they want to take you know, exciting events. They want to take creative events. They want to take events that give them status, that help them get on a list because they're in, you know, years say, you know, eight through 12 of their career arc. And so I'm wondering, you know, what kind of impact that has because you have a, a big increase in the demand of people who want that small segment. I'm curious, does anybody know anything? I really don't know. On what's happened to the number of people who are in the wedding industry providing services, with the pandemic, like we've talked about the supply side or the demand side of this a lot. How how many weddings are, are, are being you know uh, asked for every year, how what the guest lists look like, how much they're spending and what they're spending it on. But what about the supply side? How many people do we think dropped out of the wedding industry over the last few years with the pandemic and moved on? Whether that's full-time or part-time or both?
2: Wait, Anya, you, you wanna <laughs>
1: Well, I don't have a data Sorry. report. I don't have a database in front of me. I can, you know, I can postulate a little bit. So, yeah, and I'll go back to 2008 because I think a lot of people were not around in 2008. Um, yeah. I was, you know, I was. It was a, a wee one in 2006, seven or whatever. And the 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 weddings industry, for all intents and purposes, is totally different. Like it, it just totally different. But yeah. there were lots of people getting married and spending a lot of money. And then 2008 happened, and there was a big, you know, recession um and a lot of people you know anecdotally shuttered their businesses but it came back with like you know a vengeance my sense and it's just a sense i, I don't have a database um my sense is that people left the industry who were were tired already mm-hmm. like there were a lot of planners there were a lot of folks even photographers and people that don't have huge overhead that were like this is my moment to just like redefine this thing for myself and get out of here. It was high, right? Like there's a lot of that burnout stuff going on. But in the last year, my sense is that the zero to five year category has grown immensely, Um, especially in businesses where the over, especially in almost particularly in businesses, categories where the overhead is very low. So if you are a photographer, you're considered a category that the overhead is rather low. I know the equipment is expensive, but, yeah. um, but that, that's my sense is that the, the number of people have, it hasn't um, gone too much up and down, but categorically speaking, there's more photographers than ever before. There's more planners than ever before. Um, and I think that, yeah, we did have some fluctuation with the others, the old, you know, out with the old and with the new kind of a thing, but I don't know that the full yeah. overall number has changed too, too much.
2: I would say that uh, there's definitely people that left the industry uh, right when the pandemic hit. Uh, I know people that went out of business just because they, they'd been in business for 40 years and they couldn't survive this particular thing. Um, but, but I, you know, like you said, there, I think there's people that just said, up, all right, that's it. I'm done. I think I'm good. I'm good. But also I'll say that just based on some data from the census about licensing, there were more businesses created in the past couple of years than there's ever been created. in the. And it's incredible, like the spike in the number of business licenses was incredible. And like Anya said, anything that is a low barrier to entry, like a planner, like a DJ, like a photographer, I know you got overhead and expenses, but anything that's a low barrier to entry business increased significantly, especially in the past year, and you're going to see some of that pressure this year as well, because now all of these people that are looking for someone, they have alternatives, right? They have alternatives to go to. Like, I don't have to just hire this, this person over here that's a pro been in the business for 20 years. I could hire this person that's been in it for a year and pay a lot less, even though I like what their work, whatever, right? There's lots of different reasons, but there are alternatives out there, especially for low barrier injuries. In the past five years, I've seen a lot of businesses, even pre-pandemic, convert spaces for a wedding venue space or event space, which was really strange. Like even schools converting space into like event space so that they could provide some type of event space thinking that, you know, Hey, we'll just have some weddings here and that sort of thing. People are looking for different, um, you know, places to go, but I, I don't know. I think there was a lot of that that was created that now you've got this in some markets, there's this huge amounts of venues that there, there's, there's no reason for that many spaces, right? So some of those are going to go out of business. The overhead cost is just too high. But uh, I think you, you, there's, you know, you see a lot of different things is happening. It's probably about the same, like you said. I mean, like people came out, some people came in. But I would say anything that's low barrier entry is probably you're going to see a lot more pressure for those that have been in the business for a while. Photographer, planner, DJ, any of those, um, there's huge pressure. Plus, not to mention. The other types of businesses that are getting into the same space, let me give you an example, Costco, McDonald's, they're all doing catering. McDonald's is doing catering for weddings in Australia. I read It's incredible, like insane. Right? So, and then you got Costco doing wedding events, right? They're selling rings. They're doing dresses. They were doing all kinds of other stuff prior, but all of these other businesses are trying to get into this space. And that is also, those are also alternatives to you right like if as a consumer i gotta look at all my alternatives where where do i need to go and that's the, that's that's the other pressure that's happening as well
0: i want to add one thing on to what you both said about the number of vendors and kind of what's happening you know i remember several years ago i wrote a newsletter and it was basically stop training your competition by being a bad boss and i think what, what I meant by that is that, you know, as we grow our business, we bring other people on and we show them how to be a wedding planner, or a DJ, or a photographer, or whatever it might be. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are in the entrepreneurial space who start their own business are driven by something called autonomy or independence, freedom. They, they don't want to work the nine to five, they don't want to work for the man, but the man could even be you, it could be the woman who's the planner. Who is providing the paycheck? At some point, people feel like they're ready to spread their wings and go out on their own and start their own company. And so as the wedding industry has grown over the last, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, and as businesses have gotten a little bit bigger by adding people on, it's provided a training ground, a mentorship, an on-the-job practical mentorship for new people to learn the skill set and then eventually say Sayonara when the opportunity is there. And so You know we we see this quite a bit with you know you train an employee and then they go off on their own and now you're they're the competition and they're undercutting you and all of that stuff so i definitely see you know some people who made it through the pandemic maybe their employees were happy to have employment and get a paycheck you know they they made it through and and now that they're in you know uh, um, a more secure space they're willing to take the risk and go out on their own and open up their own dj business or their own stationary business or their own planning company whatever it might be so you know this is short version of it and it is that the pie is shrinking with the number of people the guest count and the per guest spends and the desire the motivation the values as you said Anya for people to you know blow it out with their wedding right so the the pie is shrinking and all the different factors and criteria that we could imagine and the pieces are being cut up More and more and more because there are more people filing for business licenses and and striking out on their own. And so that is something that we all have to keep in mind. I wish that it was a positive sum game right now where, you know, everybody had the opportunity to book whomever they wanted, whenever they wanted, for whatever price they wanted. But that's just not the reality. We live in a competitive market right now. This is, you know, I've been I've been saying um, and I'll use this as a transition that you know, this isn't necessarily the new norm. This is the old norm. This is back to like 2018 when I was traveling around with Anya and company at the not pro workshops. Right. And we, everybody was talking about, you know, how do I deal with these people who are undercutting me and these newbies that are coming into the market and, um, you know, people who are, you know, price sensitive and I'm getting ghosted. What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? Like the things that I'm hearing now, from people the biggest challenges they're running into are in that realm they're competitive landscape issues they're not supply chain issues or inflation issues or pandemic issues or employee issues they're how can i get a a big enough piece of this shrinking pie with more people having knives and pie cutters in their hands
1: yeah yeah but with the with the added pressure of what's going on on the macro because in 2018 we didn't have like the types of things that we do now as a result of yeah. them, things like that. So that's the other thing. And and some, a lot of people asked about the tone, what's a tone deaf message. Like, I don't, I don't mean price. And that's not what I mean. I mean, like the, the things that you're posting about and the way you're talking about your clients and the way you're talking about your work. I know like many people are very proud of their fancy tent and like all these things, the, like those things just do a little, tr- do a little test. <laughs> Do a little test for me, right? Like go out there and figure out if you can tell, play up somebody's story, talk about their families, talk about what what really mattered to them, talk about their values, see if those things resonate better. Um, obviously we don't have to turn this into a social media thing, but like videos play better. Obviously the algorithms have a lot to do with it, but the realness is a big part of that too. It's like, I don't, it is not about just me. It is about we, and I want to feel something when I go to hire this person, I want to believe that they agree with me from the values point of view and that they really care about things that matter to me. And so it can look tone deaf if the only things that you are posting about are these like Perfect, perfect tablescapes. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, because if you're doing that work, that's amazing and insane. But you know, try try your hand at also figuring out how you can push out the message that you truly care about these people as humans.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example of that because Anya, this is what we do. You know, as a company, we work on messaging, and we get into the the psychographics, the buyer desires and concerns, what keeps them up at night, what really you know fills them up you know purpose wise what are those values those psychological drivers like the difference between like you know being tone deaf in the sense that like you're not hitting the right note with your audience versus you are hitting the right note let's say you do tablescapes so tone deaf could be in this situation or or not hitting the mark could be you you put a picture of just the tabletop decor the setting the S, the the menu card the you know the flatware all of that stuff the floral in the background but there's an alternate photo that you could use one that has people around it celebrating what it is that they came there to do humans laughing raising a glass and toasting people you know mid laughter Uh, it's the same stuff that's in front of you but it's a different feeling it's a different experience that you are portraying and so you could be somebody who sells stationery and wants to sell the menu card or you are doing tabletop decor or you're doing floral but one looks like a bomb went off and nobody made it to the wedding. And the other is a sense of celebration and joy and coming together with your loved ones. That's the difference in messaging. OK, so one is just pretty. The other is pretty and fun and meaningful. That's the difference between good messaging or bad messaging and good messaging. And, and we're seeing a shift in what it is that people want to see. That's that I think is what you're, you know, we all want to pay attention to all right that's what we all want to pay attention to so I I made a list here and I want to I want to spend the last little bit here talking about kind of what people can do um and then if there's um anybody has any questions I see there's some questions that have come into the chat please drop it into the actual Q and A uh down on the bottom of your screen you should see a Q and A um go ahead and drop any questions that you feel like aren't yet answered and we'll get to those but I want to go and talk about the, the factors that we're currently running into, these macro, external, environmental conditions that are unique to this time and place that we're in right now. I've just been making a list of things that Anya and Shane, you have said. Burnout is one. Burnout from people who have been going, going, going and haven't had a chance to recover as business owners. We've talked about the drop-off in in the amount of business relative from one year to the next. It feels like this is a really bad year, even though it's probably fairly normal, right? This is about what we did in 2019, 2018, not far off. It's not like a 50% decrease, could be a 5% decrease from several years ago, but it was a 20% decrease or 15% decrease from last year. So it seems like a lot, it feels like a lot. We've talked about the economy. And I would I would put in here that it's really a pessimistic outlook on what the economy is gonna do. I remember last year, um, you know, when I was at the Engage conference in June, everybody was talking about the impending recession, which never actually arrived, right? So but it was like that's what everybody was talking about, which meant that people were holding on to their money for fear of it. Um, We've talked about cost of living increases and what the impact that has on the middle class. We use the word inflation a couple of times, but that's certainly something that that we've seen. The dollar doesn't go nearly as far. We've talked about an upcoming election that is just now getting brewing on Wednesday. There's the first primary debate of the year. You wait. It's going to be all election coverage for the next you know 18 months. Um, Job security. We talked about different fields, different industries that um, that once were stable that no longer are remember 6 8 months ago when people in tech started losing their jobs for the first time people were like what is going on this this was like the growth area for the last you know 18 22 years nobody had ever really seen the kind of layoffs since a dot com bubble burst back in 2000 you know 2001 2002 um and then a longer planning timeline that just in general um or sorry shorter planning timeline people are spending less time planning their wedding they're waiting until the last minute which means that your numbers this time last year could be very different than they are this time this year and they will be over the course of years because people are waiting longer any other external factors or environmental conditions or market conditions that we would want to add to this you know mix of things that are Kind of out of our control but we still need to pay attention to
1: competition you know and in, in those photographers you know planners you've got a lot of competition those folks are closer to marrying age generally if i'm generalizing that makes it kind of hard like i'm 40 like I, in 10 years ago it was easier for me to market to couples because they were kind of me um you know so it's it, it's it's not as innate to all of us you know, necessarily if you're out of that that range but if there's newbies coming into the market who are closer to that age, they just they just have a better innate understanding of how to talk and sell.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. I remember at some point, you know, uh, you know, my clients will tell me that, like, I'm getting along better with the moms now than I than I yes, do. The
1: exactly. You know, like there's
0: there's that whole aging out factor, right? Where yeah. you can't connect with them and say like, oh, you're like me. You look like me. Um, and so that's that's a good one. Shane, anything that you want to add to the list of, kind of these external or you know, environmental conditions at the macro level that are impacting things?
2: I, I mean, the competition thing is huge. I think people fail to pay attention to that. Uh, and it's not just the vendors that are in the space, you gotta pay attention to the alternatives. So it's not just the new players, not just the old players, it's the alternatives. And the alternative is basically someone that can provide the same thing that you provide, but it's not necessarily directly you. So for example, you sell a wedding dress, You're a dress shop, right? But, oh, I can go to Costco. I can go to a secondhand store and buy a dress, too. So those are alternative solutions, right? So, Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. all right. So this is a great question. What I want to spend the rest of the time on here. We've talked about where we've been. We talked about where we are right now. It it feels a bit doom and gloom, you know, uh, but it's not. It's still a thriving industry. Um one thing that I will say before we go into this recognize that when we're talking about you know um you know the number of weddings is down it's down by a little bit it's not down by like again 50% or something so you know just recognize that we're talking about small changes that we're seeing here in 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 many areas and some of these things are temporary right like in 2023 there won't be an election it'll or sorry 2025 there won't be an election it'll be done right um, you know the, the the economic outlook is already on the up right you know many people are now pulling back their fears of recession they're talking about the soft landing is here hopefully we've got one or two more rate cut or rate hikes and then we're done any other number of things that are going on so i'm curious knowing what it is that we know we've talked about these shifts and some of these long-term trends What should wedding pros do about it? Why you should obviously we shouldn't light our hair on fire and run around scared. That would be that would be really bad.
2: Don't panic. Yeah,
0: yeah. Don't panic. You know, we also shouldn't just throw our hands up in the air and say, "Oh well, I'll hope that things get better." You know, that's the the rising tide lifts all boats. I talk about like if you're waiting for a rising tide to come along you like it's going to be a long time guys like you, your business will not survive if you're hoping that you can just kind of ride the waves and you know eventually it'll work out for you you've got to like you got to drop a motor in the ocean and start going in the direction that you want what are some things that wedding pros can do that they can control that they can impact that they can that they can put into practice today tomorrow next week when things slow down a little bit for them in the phone go on you or you want me to go yeah Anya, why do want you start me? Oh, okay Okay. Yeah. Or if, you, or, or Shane, if you've got something. Yeah,
1: you... no, I, I'll go. I mean, I think, I think it, as I'm, as we're chatting, you know, people are, think some of these things are really resonating. Other people seem to be super scared, but that's, I think you have to look at your own part. Like we are a fraction, we are a fractured industry. We are in different regions. You all have different stories. I talked to a caterer last week who's having a better than ever year and 24 looks like better than ever, ever, ever. So like everybody's got different things that they're dealing with. And I if the burnout is real, time management, right? Like there's things that you can solve with all of these things. Like the burnout is real for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people in our industry talking about needing the need for time management or the need for help or how does AI help me? <laughs> there's a lot of that. Um there's also like the drop-off. Like when when friends reach out and they're like, Do you are you hearing that there's like no leads? I think that's a good opportunity to look at your market and reassess where you fall. Like you said, there's this, you know, you've got your methodology to figuring that out, right? Sam, it's like figure out whether there is a second revenue stream for you here. Like if, if it seems like, you know, business as usual isn't working, it's because it's not. And those same couples like are not hearing you. So there's probably a mix of the right message or the wrong message that's going out there as well as potentially an opportunity Um, You know, everybody who's watching has probably deep experience at what they do and they could probably offer, they're probably leaving money on the table, I guess, because there's probably couples coming in the door who are way out of your price range and you just can't help them. And Mm -hmm. 2023, 24 might be the time to actually open up that second revenue stream or that third revenue stream to adjust to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about needing to scale and things. I think that's really smart. Like, where are you leaving money on the table with these, with these weddings that mm, historically don't fall on your price point? But hey, you've got the chops, you've got the team, you have the network to be able to, to do these things. Um, and then the need to be more efficient, like I know that's time management on the internal side, but being more efficient with your clients, like think about the fact that they're not gonna spend 12 months planning their weddings. That means if you're not getting back to them, you are out. Like there are anecdotally, again, there's a lot of people who tell me that like when they're planning their weddings, it takes days to hear back from folks that is 2022 vibes that cannot be for the future. We cannot be doing that. And so getting back to couples, because listen, their wedding is literally in five, six months. And so the more efficient you can be in terms of like booking and and, and getting back and replying and being personal and all that stuff. Um, the better, which, again, reminds me of 2018.
0: (laughs) It it is. It is. I remember being at one of the workshops that we were at, and something like 47% or the the couple said that they didn't hear back from some of the vendors when they inquired, which is nuts. Um, I've also read studies. I think, I can't remember if the guy was at MIT or he's at Harvard when the study was done, but basically he said that, if you're the vendor and you're reached out to and you get back to them within five minutes versus 30 minutes that you are nine times more likely to get the booking nine minutes versus 30 percent. 30 minutes you had a one percent chance of winning the business if you got back to them within 24 hours one percent chance of winning the business in this particular study it is going to be different for for wedding couples who are getting married of course but the point is is that you have a significantly higher opportunity to to start the conversation, to connect with the client, to it, it, you know, educate them however it is that you want to do that to get to the point where they end up spending money with you or spending more money with you. If you get back to them first or within, you know, a, a short period of time compared to like, my office hours are Monday through Thursday, nine to six. And then <laughs> I'll get back to you then. Like yeah. that that works in client management. If you set expectations, that does not work in, you know, 2023's market. The leads. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: no way. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't yeah, work.
1: Mining. Right. Like the streamlining, like actually getting down, you know, getting your hands dirty and assessing what is what does your workflow look like right now. Like there's probably burnout is is a result of those streamlined um, you know, those operations not being fully intact. And by the way, caterers are really good at this because they have to be, because they run big teams, even the small ones run big teams. And so if you look, you know, if you're looking for friends or stuff, like I would I would actually go see what the director of operations at your favorite catering company has to say about how you're doing things
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think uh, c- catering companies are a great opportunity for everybody to learn i mean I, well, I always that's a profile if you're ever looking to hire somebody get a catering manager right because yeah. they're like they are such good employees such good team members because they're about the business side of it um not about the other side of it so i think that's great advice talk to the caterers they know they know what's going on shane what would you what would you suggest in addition or or to accentuate what Anya's talking? about? yeah i
2: mean about? i would say a couple of things that are inside your control. Um, because those are the things you can handle. Um, number one, I would just say, <laughs> I know the industry is like, oh, I'm a creative, I don't care about data, data's boring, blah, blah, blah. I hate to say that, but you know, look, you run a business, you need to think about and care about data. Period. End of story. Like that's you just got to. And so look at your data and figure out where you're making the most profit. What you know, so a couple of things I'd like to say about the offerings. And Anya mentioned this too. Maybe you need to reassess so you can provide different offerings. Look at what you're providing now, see which ones that you're making the most profit on. Think about what are the things that people don't really care about that you're putting in there. Cause every time you put something in what you offer, you're actually spending money on your side and then create a new plan. Think about um, like all the luxury brands do this and, and, they always create lines that are below, right? Like lines that are down inside, right? How do they grow their business Two, three, four, five, ten 10% a year? They can't always do that in the luxury space. So they, what do they do? They build products that they can sell at the outlet stores, right? And that's how they grow their business. So you need to think about what is the sec- second level of revenue that I can make by, okay, what can I offer? Maybe it's a smaller package. Maybe it's just a couple of things, right? Think about what your couples and your people want. go, Go back and ask your couples, hey, what did what did you enjoy about what we provided? What things did you care about? What did you not care about? You can actually create surveys and rank this stuff. And then the things that rank the most, that's what you include in your next package. You don't care about the stuff below there, right? So those are those are things that you can do. Ra- right now, those are inside your control. Go look at your data. If you're not collecting data, you need to start right now and and, and start collecting as much information as you can about your consumers. The second thing I would say is operational efficiency. So look at your business, look at what you're doing inside your business. How are you bringing customers in? What does that flow look like when they come in? All the way from connecting with them all the way to close out, right? So you gotta understand the entire process, map it out if you have to, write it all out on a piece of paper and figure out what things that you can make more efficient. What can you automate, right? Automation is the easiest way that you can get operational efficiency. What are you duplicating? There's always duplication within your process. Maybe you're doing stuff that someone else on your team might be doing that you could be doing or that someone else could be doing. Maybe there's stuff you're doing that you just don't want to delegate, but maybe you need to delegate. There's lots of things that you can do to create more operational efficiency within your business. So I think those are the two things that you could take and and do right now that are inside your control. There's probably more, but for sure, those two.
0: That's great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to add in a couple of them uh, that I think you maybe haven't touched on yet. Both of you haven't touched on yet, but um, one of them is setting expectations. You know, my my brother, he's a, a talent manager, used to be a talent agent, and I asked him 15 years ago, "Hey Ben, what do you do?" Like, like explain it in the simplest terms that you possibly can. And he thought for a second, and he goes, "I manage expectations." You know, he works with writers and directors who have you know googly sized eyes that are filled with dollar signs wanting to make you know a billion dollars in you know uh writing the next you know how i met your mother you know or whatever it might be but like chances are you're going to be a script writer for a little while before you get the opportunity to do something like that so you know i i would i would recommend the same thing to everybody who's listening to this watching this the thing that you can do is manage your own expectations of what it is that you're going to get from your business this year, next year, the year after, you know, we're coming off of this, this big 22 and you know, there's, there's this feeling that like, okay, I went up here and so now I'm going to keep doing this unlikely for that to happen, right? Like if a plane continued to take off at the same trajectory for too long, it would end up, You know going into outer space and therefore blowing up and not surviving right same thing with your business we all know that you can't stay at that same trajectory at some point you reach a cruising altitude and businesses when they reach a maturity level will do that sometimes you when you reach rough air turbulent air you got to go down and find the quiet air and i think that's what some businesses are doing really well right now is they're adapting to 23 and 24 rather than focusing and looking back on what they did or were doing in 22. so set those expectations it's not going to be a boom year every year it can't be it would probably be hard um, for you to do that but the environmental conditions as we just listed don't don't look the same for now as as they did uh in the past there's something called um hedonic adaptation uh you know hedonism is pleasure seeking right we become used to a certain level of pleasure and and our brain you know submits these neurochemicals these hormones that make us feel good at a certain level but when we become used to those levels we then seek out more stimulation more things to make us feel good again just like you would if you got used to a certain level of a drug in your system right that's kind of what 22 was it was like we reached that that mark where like life was good we were charging whatever we wanted to we didn't have to worry about business coming in we were making really good money we were working with great clients because we could be selective and we got used to that and we expect that next year was going to be a little bit better than that and then next year will be a little bit better than that that's not how business works you guys it doesn't just automatically go up like that And so I think managing those expectations is really important part of that. And I want to go back and highlight something that we've all kind of talked about is that not every client is going to be ideal. You cannot run a successful business consistently. If you are only working with perfect clients, with ideal clients, we want to shoot for ideal so that we can get more of those people in into our inbox and to sign contracts we certainly want to do that we want to we want to anchor all of our marketing around an ideal client but we want to be accepting in the sales process about what actually hits our inbox and who we're working with in in our company we talk about the three p's price project and personality Those are the three things that you're looking for. You want somebody who can afford your services. You want somebody who's going to have an interesting or exciting or portfolio building project, and you want somebody whose personality is easy for you to get along with, fun for you to work with, um, or at the very least, non abrasive. And so an ideal client has all three of those P's as big checks, check, check, check. I got all of them, price, project and personality. But. To run a successful business, especially during relatively lean years, say compared to last year, we want to make sure that we're accepting of clients who we might need to book just to pay the bills, to cover the mortgage, to make sure that you can have the time off that you want and and go on a vacation or put food on the table, whatever it might be. And so that may mean that it may not be the most creative expression of your business, or it might not be that big tented event at the private estate in Wyoming that you're working on, you know, seven times a year. You may have to take events with people who you don't love. You just, you know, get along with them. Okay. And they see it as a business transaction. And so should you. The key is to be open to less than perfect. They don't have to be flawed buyers, but we certainly want to make sure that we're not holding out for only perfect clients if we're not getting that kind of business and that i think anya you said like alternate or additional revenue streams yeah that's kind of what you're talking about right it's like not everybody's going to be top line you know client paying top of the dollar we're going to have to be okay with people who are not perfect and who want to spend less than maybe our ideal client
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to like, you know, we're not saying devalue yourself and lower your price for the same amount of work that you do. I think it's getting creative with what you offer and like, what can you take away, right? From your normal offering and offer somebody who doesn't have fit in the price point. And so it's, it's like, it's sort of like, you know, what are the, there's definitely people who call who are not your ideal. That is going to be probably a trend this year. And, you know, how can you, How can you continue to have your bread and butter and then also have these clients that inspire you? Because I think that that's going to be more of the road that we're taking this year than it was before. Before it was, I just want the good ones. I just want to do this forever. I just want 10 perfect events every year. And that's just not the way it (laughs) works. Yeah, me too. Everybody wants that. And I also, I know there's a lot of like worry around, like, do I devalue my brand if I take on weddings that don't look a certain way or whatever? there's a decision for you to be to be made there and that's someone made a comment earlier that Porsche sells a lot of SUVs like those that has Porsche on the you know on the car and that's where the bread and butter sits right Um, or is it that you are like a Marriott that owns Ritz Carlton, right? It's like you've got to kind of figure out like, are you do you have a second brand or is it just another offering that like allows these people like more palatable price that to come in the door? Um, or perhaps to the project point of view, maybe it's a different type of project. So there's so many ways to approach it. You don't have to devalue your brand. I certainly believe that if you have a luxury brand, you can use that to your advantage because people are looking at you and they know that you can do the best work and if they just can't quite afford that right now that's fine here's what they can and and you've got to you've got to create it for them though you've got to you've got to help them help you
0: yeah, I mean, go through and look at like Mercedes as a luxury brand. They have a G-Wagon that's over six figures and then they have the entry level, you know, 250 yeah. model, which is for, you know, somebody who's willing to spend 35, dollars $45,000. So they're both Mercedes, they're both luxury experiences, they're both luxury products, but one is three times as much as the other. So just recognize that you can still have a luxury brand without selling, you know, uh, a, yeah. a Ford. Okay.
2: Wedding, wedding uh, Vera Wang is a perfect example, right? She's a luxury dress designer, but she also has a smaller, she had a smaller dress design in uh, David's Bridal. She has a ring design that's in Zales. So she's she's reaching down. I mean, look at Coach. Coach is a well-known brand, but they also sell a lot of stuff at their outlet. In fact, that's probably where they make most of their money is from the outlet store. So you've got the brand, but you're still selling at a, at a lower price. You have options. There's, there's, there's no... I mean, I don't know, I think Anya said it earlier, it just depends on where you're at, what you're doing.
0: What, one of the, the, the simple tactics that I recommend to everybody, I, I've recommended it since, you know, uh, 2016, that is offer three and exactly three different options for every single person who inquires. A lot of wedding pros are still using, here's the package for you, or here's base plus a la carte, but your base is the is what you want them to book, not what you're willing to do if you if you create a product set with three different options for people to choose from you make your middle what you want them to book but you can still have a lower option that you're happy with it's highly profitable it doesn't dilute or lower brand integrity and you also have an higher option for somebody who wants to splurge who you know always gets the best so having three different within each proposal that you put out Will, will allow that that opportunity to the freedom, the choice, the control to be in your client's hands rather than uh, an ultimatum of take this or leave it, which is oftentimes what I see from people.
2: Yeah.
1: One thing hey. that I continue to hear a lot of right now are folks who are I'm not, they're not a planner, but they want to work with a full service planner because those bring in the best clients. Like this, this, I don't, this goes for you too. Right. Like, so instead of, it's like, I just need all the planners to just book me. (laughs) Like instead of that mindset for 24 and you know, the end of the 20, 23, it's like, yes, continue investing in those relationships. It will come like, you know, your, your people will be there for you, but like, they're also, everybody's going to be kind of going through the same thing. So it's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people who are hanging their hat on that. And so you know, we're a relationships-based industry and such, but you've got to take matters into your own hands, too. Um, you know, you've got to be able to develop your messaging, find your people, and potentially it means that you're designing a, a package or two that doesn't fit that price point for that planner. Right. Um, I just, I hope I'm speaking to some people because I I definitely have heard that from quite a few yeah. folks. Saying
2: like, I agree with you, Anya. I think you need to do both of those, right? You definitely need to build relationships with variety of different people so that you can... Be known, go out and do stuff for people, get involved in your community, right? If you definitely want, if you want to get out there, get your name out there. But you definitely have to make a, a play for yourself as well. You can't just rely on the relationships.
0: Yeah, I'll say uh, um, that even if you get referrals from planners, like that's not a, a surefire way to get a client because everybody that you're competing with is also getting a referral from that same planner. She also likes all the other people that the couple is considering. So, you know, and, and they've also won all the awards and have a great portfolio and have the same style and exactly. charging roughly the same thing. Like literally all things are equal. So may the best salesperson win, frankly, is exactly. really what it comes down to with the, with the best messaging, with the best collateral. That 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 is it, you get better at, booking the people who everybody else is getting the referral from. So it never was a surefire way, but it's certainly harder now because those planners are also struggling to get the inquiries with ideal clients, with the big budgets that can afford what it is that you want to charge people. I think that's a good insight. I wanna go through and just see if we can knock off some of these questions that we have on this list here um, and and kind of uh, update so that everybody has something here. Uh, Richie asks, how are you able to track market-wide booking and payment trends without a single aggregator? That reports that info, um, Richie. I, w- you know, I, I would say that there's, um, you know, a good opportunity to get the wedding report. Frankly, Shane, I won't make you plug your own product here, but I would recommend getting the wedding report. It's got really great information. It's updated regularly. It gets down to um, specific markets, uh, you know, states, counties, cities, that kind of thing. Um, in your vendor category, all of that stuff. There's tons of data going back for years and years and years. As you can see, Shane is a more of a data scientist than a wedding guy. And so um, I think that there's some objectivity and um, some detachment from the numbers as well. Um, He's not selling you anything other than the report, the information, what you do with it is up to you. Different than say the knot or wedding wire, which has some vested interest in what it is that you do with that information, hopefully advertise with them. So I would recommend that. Shane, anything that you would add in there for a source? I would just say
2: that um, adding, uh, I would just add that you're right. There is no single aggregator. In fact, getting the number of weddings is incredibly painful because every state does it differently. Every county within the state collects it differently. So it, getting all that data and trying to figure out how that all maps to how many weddings that are actually taking place—it's um, a little more complicated than just that. But it's extremely complicated. Also, too, you do—you got to do a lot of sampling. You got to do a lot of collection of other data points within markets. So there's a lot of pieces that go into everything. It's not just oh, let's just do one. There's not there's not one aggregator. You have to collect multiple data points and try and uh, come up with some conclusion about what it what it really looks like. So yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, I'll take take it from me as a founder of a fintech platform designed for the weddings and events industry. Like there isn't one all fits all be all, right? Like our platform was tended to attract higher end planners and such. There's HoneyBook. They have their own trending data, you know, all the CRMs, they all have different segments of the market, but truthfully that, that, that doesn't exist. And, you know, that's, that's a big pain point for all of us. Um, And certainly someday somebody may figure it out, but that's not, that's not where we are today.
2: Yeah. 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 The, the, The problem is, is this is a private industry. So there's a lot of private and it's very fragmented. If you look at someone like the airline, I'll just use the airline industry. Most of the companies that run in the airline industry are all public companies. So it's very easy to aggregate what's really happening in the market because they are required to report data and information. So super easy to do that. But when it's when it's a uh, um, when it's all private business and there are no uh, single points, then you can't, you it's just it's, it's a it's a mess. To say at least right. it's a mess. Let's,
0: um, uh, there's a couple of questions in here that we have related to price. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of uh, take those on and just summarize a little bit about what we said. So uh, anonymous attendee asks, so is a solution to lower prices back down if you raise them in 2022? I, I would say that's, that's a opportunity for certain people who might need to do that, but not everybody needs to do that. You know, our, uh, many of our clients are continuing to increase their prices. Some of them are having to lower them. It just depends on where you're at. I always say the same thing. I can't tell you what you should be charging, but your clients can. And by that, I mean that if you're getting a bunch of yeses and your conversion rates are more than 35 or 40% of the inquiries that come in, if you're ahead of where you were last year, if if your target count is kind of feeling good right now, if people are booking the high package a lot, Um, that means that, yeah, you probably can push, you know, Anya said and Shane agreed. And I would totally agree. Most wedding pros are leaving money on the table because we're not paying attention to these kind of numbers. Your clients will tell you with their behavior, whether you can raise prices or if you need to lower them. Now, I will say that if you do find that you're behind people, aren't booking regularly, your conversion rates are really low. They're booking the lowest option, whatever it may be putting your prices back down lower might be a temporary solution but keep in mind and I'll I'll use this pen here that value and price are intricately tied together you have price over here and value over here the only reason that you would need to lower your price is that you're not getting enough value to equal out what you're charging so you could lower your price to make it equal to the value but I would suggest increasing your value as a way to justify the higher price. But what that means is that you have to get better at selling. It means your collateral from marketing through sales needs to get better. And you've got to make sure that you're putting out a product set that creates the kind of choice architecture that's going to lead people to choose you more often and choose the package that you want more often that's why our company exists because that is something that most wedding pros don't know how to do very well and it is the number one thing that our clients want from us whenever I put out a poll in the industry they always say the same thing how can I build value and that is what I would focus on long term so you may need to take a step back from your pricing if you're not booking at the pace that you want and 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 sales is the reason why then you might have to back off a little bit but overall you should invest time energy money and resources into building value so that long term you can justify those higher prices so that that's that one um there was another uh, person who uh asked should pro scale backup prices some to attract that middle class sector humbling ourselves a little bit um, how do we find the balance again with our prices, both florists and planners? Um, I would just go back, Stacey, to what you um, you know, what we were talking about earlier with both Shane and Anya mentioning that, you know, you need to come up with different services for different segments of your audience, of your customer base. You know, go back to that bell curve. You can't only focus on the top 15 or 20% of the people who are going to inquire. You could. You, you, you might be in that position. Congratulations if you are. But yeah. most wedding business owners are going to have to shoot for that juicy middle of the bell curve. And you need to offer profitable services at each one of those segments. Uh, you know, you might not want to service the lowest, but you, know, you should at least have something that hits that juicy middle where two-thirds of your inquiries are going to land. You don't want to say no or outprice them. You want to have something that is maybe a lower dollar amount but it's still very profitable for you you might have to do more volume um, to get that but if you create the efficiencies that anya and shane are talking about you'll be able to to make that happen and again remember these are are tactical or even short-term strategic solutions to the immediate situation that we're in this is this is the response to all those different factors that i listed out that are occurring right now Next in six months, 12 months, 24 months could be very different. But right now that may be something that you have to adjust.
1: One thing just quickly to add to that, I I wouldn't want folks to get the message that that means that they need to be generic. And like, cause, cause that, that is a, that is something that folks will fall into is like, okay, well, this is my like boring packages for the cheap people. Like keep your personality in, keep your brand essence within that because I do think that that gets, it gets hard. Like, so if you know who you are and you really know who you are and what you are all about, like you should be able to translate that a bit to, to that segment and not lose yourself. That's that's actually where I think the concern comes up of like diluting my brand. Yeah. Like so long as you can continue standing for what you stand for and being extraordinarily delightful or or talented at whatever it is that you offer, and doing it on that for that other target—that's that's what matters. But so I, speaking from experience, there were a lot of generic companies that came out of booms or um, not booms, but but times when things were really competitive because of this. So, just you know, I think figuring out how to you—and it's a hard balance—but figuring out how you you stand by your thing, um, even if you are off. Yeah, something.
2: you can. Yeah, you. But you just gotta look at the the information and the data that you have and figure out where the profit stuff is and then go look what can i offer at this space but still be me right i can reach down in here but what can i offer maybe it's something a lot more simpler than you're offering now but that's maybe the you know that's a good starting spot but look at the information like how much for photographers for example how much time does it really take you to do all the work that you need to do what can you do on the operational side to maybe offload some of the work that you have to do to produce that package Maybe it's less expensive to offload the work operationally. And then you can offer this other package, spend four or five hours actually doing the work, make a couple grand and you move on. Right. Like there's there's lots of ways to look at it.
0: Uh, Jenny asks um, uh, about clients more hesitant to type in their budget when they inquire. Um, somebody had asked about you know uh, pricing and, and whatnot on the website or on the the contact form. I will I will tell you right now from a um, a, a business consultant's perspective. What I'm always trying to do is diagnose the issue that's leading to the problem that we're, that we're seeing. Um, not getting enough bookings is gonna be typically related to one of three general categories. Not getting enough website traffic, not getting enough people from your website to your inbox, or not getting enough people who inquire to say yes. What you've got to identify is where is the issue? Is it the website traffic, the website, or the sales process? One of the biggest reasons why people aren't getting enough inquiries is that you are making it hard for people to inquire. If you want more inquiries, reduce the friction during the contact form experience. Remember, the contact form is to contact you, not to pre-qualify or screen your clients. If you are suffering from not having enough inquiries, nine times out of ten, there's going to be a solution in some way or another related to making your contact form easier, simpler, faster, less problematic to fill out. If you ask somebody what their budget is on the contact form, that is a major point of friction. And if your goal is to get only a handful of people to inquire who are better qualified, then that might be a a tactical route to go. But if you are short on inquiries right now, and you are hoping to have the opportunity to connect with and build value and to guide your couple through the buying experience, Remove the question about how much do you want to spend? You know, you're asking people who don't know the answer to that question, what they guess and for a number of different reasons that sends the conversation going in the complete wrong direction if it even gets started at all so my recommendation would be to remove that from the contact form instead on your inquiry response if you want to let people know what you're starting at prices do it then it starts the conversation it gets them to know what the barrier to entry is to talk about services with you and hopefully it'll start the conversation without clogging up your your inquiry process so just a small tactical shift but something that um, that that should that should help you quite a bit in the sales. This,
2: this, yeah, this goes back to operational efficiency, right? Like someone mentioned it earlier. Um, we live in a generation where they want instant response, right? So the the thing is, is you've got to figure out how to make it easy to do business with you, right? Remove as much friction as possible. How can I contact you? How can I do business with you? Ma- make it easy. If you have if a product and you're selling it online. And make the checkout process super simple. Don't have five forms that you got to fill out just to go check out and and get a product, right? Like you got to make, you got to reduce the friction, operational efficiency.
0: Super important. Just keep in mind what the problem is. The problem that you're many of you are having right now is not getting enough bookings. And so the goal, like period, end of story, this is how it works with sales. The more people you talk to, the more people will book your services. That's just how it works. The more people you talk to, the more people will book your services. And so you want to get the conversation started with as many people as you can, if you are not getting enough people to fill the dates in your calendar. The odds are that's going to be a strategy that you're going to want to pursue, okay? It's not like that for everybody. Um, and it's not the only way, but that's like the easiest blanket way is to start more conversations, talk more with client potential clients, you'll, you'll have a higher likelihood of booking. You can't You can't get them to say yes if, if they aren't even talking to you in the first place. All right. There are a lot of other questions in here that are kind of tactical um, and um, so I'm going to save those for later. If you if you have a question that you didn't get answered, that you really want an answer to, email me directly and, and I will respond. There's some stuff in here about discovery calls and niching, um, uh, education and course fatigue and things like that. I, I'm happy to give you some thoughts on that, but we've been going for an hour and 40 minutes. That's a long time. Um, and I want, to, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. I told uh, Shane and Anya be about 90 minutes max and so we're kind of pushing that. Um, Shane, Anya, uh, how about in that order? Any final thoughts, parting words of wisdom, recommendations that you would make to people who are listening?
2: I would just say take the information we've shared with you, go and actually apply it. you know, I know that sometimes there's a lot of stuff coming at you. I, I tend stuff all the time. And sometimes, you know, if you, if you take one nugget from everything that we're doing today, take one of the things that, that either of us have talked about and apply it to your business today so you can make a difference, right? That that would be my hope that you get from, from why we're doing this.
0: Shane, where can people find more information about you if they wanted to? Uh, go to wedding.report. Super simple. Wedding.report, frictionless right there. Yeah. <laughs> Anya, what, what would you like to end with?
1: Yeah, I you know 2024 is not going to be business as usual. And I think it's really important that we're all clear on that front. Don't leave money on the table um, and continue listening to your customers and expanding your customer base because that's what's going to do it for you in the next year or two. Um, go to more of these uh, because, because truly the the big Achilles heel for our industry is we're just big, big industry, $100 billion strong. Um, but we are so fractured and we're all living in different parts of the country, but we are little mini economies. Um, and if we're going to keep doing that, we really do need to to come together and, and do more of this education. So, oh, and if you want to follow me, Instagram is where I'm the most active and it's my name and I'll just, I, I don't know if I can chat in here, but I'll change it on here so you can.
0: See. Oh yeah, ch- maybe just change your name. On I'll you change it here so yeah, you guys can see it. Yeah. yeah. So I'll I'll echo what you two have said. I think the you know the lasting message for me is that it's not all um, doom and gloom. It's not all rainbows and unicorns either. But you know, my, our our informal research with our audience and our client base is that about half of the people are struggling right now. Uh, about half of the people are doing well. Um, There are plenty of people out there who are doing well, and some are even doing very well. And um, what what I would keep in mind is that there are things that you can control, and there are things that are totally out of your control. And the people who are doing well are focusing on the things that they can control, the areas that they can impact, the stuff that we talked about that are your strategic and tactical takeaways from this conversation. So, you know, I think part of this is, yes there are people out there who are struggling you are not alone if you are struggling you are not alone and and some of the reason why i wanted to do this was because i wanted you to know that you know this is what a lot of people are experiencing right now however once we accept that and once we recognize that we then want to do something about it and so spend your time focus on the things that you can impact um, you know, I, I I go through and I look at, um, you know, a, a metaphor, for instance, losing weight. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be fitter. But if you go through and you think about losing weight, you know, you don't sit there and just step on the scale over and over again and look at the numbers and hope that it's working out. You've got to go back and you've got to do the activities, the things that you know will result in the outcome that you want. You've got to move your body. You've got to eat less. You've got to be in a good frame of mind. you got to get good sleep. All of those things. Those are the things that you can impact. The scale measures how successful you were at those activities. The The bottom line for your company will be the result of what it is that you do day in and day out. You got to go into work every day. You got to put effort into the things that you know that you need to do um, and, and focus just on that. And, and good things will come. That's what the people who are seeing good results are doing, day in and day out. They're putting the work in, rolling their sleeves up, making modifications and applying what it is that they're learning at things like this.